You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come into the world? You might answer something like this. To save sinners from hell. I like that. To reveal God to us. To die on a cross for our sins. To seek and to save that which was lost. All of that would be true. When John the Baptist described why Jesus was coming, do you know what he said? I baptize you with water, but he will die on the cross for you? No. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' mission. The historic descent of the Holy Spirit is not taught about as often as the death and resurrection of Jesus. As you will hear Pastor Tom teach in today's message, Jesus' mission was to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. This part of his mission was just as important as his death and resurrection. He told his disciples that it is to our advantage that he leave so that we can receive the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, like the disciples, you too have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, A Historic Christian Faith. This 40-day period of time was a crucial point in all of human history. This was so important. This time, he didn't leave and go back to heaven. He, he continued to stay on the earth. He was able to disappear because of his transformed body. It had physical features to it. It had other more powerful features, but he continued to appear. He didn't leave. He stayed there for 40 days, appearing again and again. Just as that burial proved he was dead, the appearances proved he was risen from the dead. The whole point of this very special time in human history was to make sure that this group of witnesses, this raggedy band of disciples we call apostles, and think they were some great men. They were just normal guys trying to figure this all out. Their eyes wide open. They were about to be sent out into the world. They were going to be persecuted. They were going to be killed for what they were going to preach, right? Jesus knew that. They had to be certain this was no ghost standing in front of them. I mean, if you had doubts, maybe this was a ghost. Would you go out and preach to your death? No. This was no phantom. This was no natural anomaly. This was not a visitor from some other planet. This was no hallucination. The same Jesus we saw on the cross, crucified, dead, buried, put into a rock tomb, sealed by the giant stone in front of it. Emperor's seal goes in front of it. A guard out front to guard it to make sure no one could take the body. It's that same Jesus that has now risen indeed physically. There he is standing in front of us with all the marks still on his body. 40 continuous days of human history to prove just that one fact. That's how important it was. These 40 days provided many convincing proofs. Do you see that? You know what the word many means? It means many. It means not a few. No paltry provision of evidence. No quick glimpse. No trifling presentation. 40 days of constant appearances. Convincing proofs. Technarion, the Greek lexicons define that Greek term in this way, clear sign, clear proof, that from which is surely and plainly known, indutable token. It's the kind of word that provides such strong proof, it leads everybody to the conclusion. Sometimes we think things are true. Jesus wanted them to know these things are true. It was enough evidence that they were able to conclude this is true. Daryl Bach in his commentary points out that Jesus' appearances were convincing to those who had not expected a resurrection. Why do you think they were running? Now, if you're the kind of men who were not expecting a resurrection, 
not thinking that one is actually going to happen. You knew that kind of thing doesn't normally happen. People rising from the dead doesn't just happen. Just don't really see that every day, do you? And then you become fully and absolutely convinced it did happen. And all of you are equally convinced by the evidence as you look at it together. That has to be some pretty powerful proof. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, Jesus gave them proof, every proof that could be given to them. He didn't hold anything back. All their senses were involved in multiple settings at different times of the day, on different days of the week, in full daylight, with different groups of people, close up, touching, examining, for hours at a time. First they saw him, not once, not twice, not three times, multiple times. Some saw him alone, some saw him in groups. 1 Corinthians 15 points out as many as 500 saw him at one time. The New Testament records at least 10 of these different appearances, but it gives the impression there were quite a bit more. They also talked to him. They had conversations with him. They stood in front of him. He was no mere vision. His appearance cannot be explained by some supposed naivete of the ancients. That's what people do today is they kind of have this prejudice against the ancients. Like, well, they didn't really know back then. They couldn't examine the evidence well. That's just prejudice. It can't be swept under a little rug with silly theories like, well, maybe they just mistook him for somebody else. Or maybe they had mass hallucinations. That doesn't happen. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. Really? Or the Passover plot as it came out. All these silly theories that fall apart upon examination. Jesus even let them touch his resurrected body at the end of Luke He makes that very point. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? This is Luke 24, 38. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Take your time. I'm not going anywhere. Become fully convinced. He even ate and drank with them. In in Acts 10, Peter preached that. He said, Jesus appeared to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He took fish and drink. He had meals with them. They sat there. It takes a while to eat a meal, you know. You sit there and eat. He took a fish and he began eating in front of them. Chomp, chomp, chomp. And little bits of pieces went away. By the way, it's a very famous fish, right? The only fish ever to be eaten by a resurrected man. It's very special. I don't think it was comfort to the fish, but it's a very special fish. It eats and bite after bite is gone and their little fishies are disappearing and so is Jesus's. It was consumed. Jesus walked with them. He talked with them. He bumped them with their shoulders, I'm sure, as they walked along. He reminded them, of course it's me. Remember the things I taught you here and taught you there and taught you there? This was what's going to happen. Do you remember all of that? They're like, oh, yeah. Every sense appropriate to gaining knowledge with conviction was provided for them in abundance. That firsthand experience with the resurrected Christ gave them the needed confidence they would have to have for witnessing and preaching. And boy, did they preach. Of these 11, remember Judas is gone, he's betrayed. Of these 11, 10 of them died horrific, torturous deaths. Did you know that? At different times. And they weren't even there to comfort one another. Often they were alone, preaching somewhere alone. And they died decades later. So they held this belief, not just like a year of enthusiasm, but 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, they continue to hold that. They spread throughout all of the known world. They joyfully proclaimed Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They clung to their confidence all the way to death. They were so certain that Jesus defeated death, they were willing to go into death to seal their testimony with their own blood. That's how confident they were. 
David Peterson writes, in the contemporary scene where doubt is often cast on the resurrection narratives by scholars and church leaders alike, we do well to remember that Luke himself was utterly convinced of the historical reliability of the evidence he received from eyewitnesses to whom Jesus appeared. Luke was not an eyewitness, but he was absolutely convinced from their testimony. John Ankerberg and John Weldon in their handbook of biblical evidences says, those who were committed skeptics and those who are expertly trained to sift evidence have declared on the basis of the evidence that the resurrection of Jesus is an historic fact. Who were these witnesses? Notice it says in verse 3, to these, that is the apostles. Jesus gave this evidence to chosen witnesses, the apostles. Before these eyewitnesses, preached the greatest message that would change the world with truth, these apostles needed strong proof themselves. They needed evidence themselves of the reality of the resurrection. Many people teach that the apostles got their confidence when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. I am not going to dispute that. The descent of the Spirit of God filled them with extra boldness and courage. But sometimes overlooked is the confidence and the assurance the apostles gained from all of these resurrection appearances before the Holy Spirit descended. Their own leader was crucified before their eyes. He shed his blood and died in front of thousands. And now he stood before them, obviously victorious over death. You can see why this assurance was necessary before the church began its proclamation of the historic gospel. You can't start a mission you have doubts about. These appearances not only assured them, but should also assure us. May I suggest that to the degree you have doubts lingering in your mind and heart, that will hinder your ability to stand in front of skeptics and say, no, you're wrong. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and you're going to face him one day. He's offering you terms of surrender because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It may be good news. It's great news if you receive it and you bow your knee before him and you confess him as your Lord and you give him your life and you follow him. But it's very bad news for you because we're kind of like those people that run out in front of the king that's got a great army, an army of angels. And he's coming. He's coming to slaughter you, and he's giving you the terms of surrender now. And they are this. He's willing to pardon all of your sins if you will bow before him now and confess your allegiance to him as your Lord. Then you'll be saved and pardoned. Other than that, you'll be destroyed. For he's coming. He's risen from the dead, and he's coming. Jesus even involved himself in a significant teaching ministry to those 11 and others around them during that 40-day period. What was his theme during that time? It tells us, notice, of all the things that Jesus could have talked to his disciples about, he decided to pick the main theme that he had talked about in his earthly life. He said, I'm going to keep preaching and teaching about that. And he pulled these guys aside and he taught them more and more about his favorite theme, the kingdom of God. Well, guess who the king is? It's Jesus. He's the king. He's talking about himself, the fulfillment of prophecies of the king, the kingdom that is going to come. He wants them to know what that kingdom is. He wants them to, to know how to tell people to get into that kingdom so they'll go out and preach it and be well aware of it. They had to master the message about Jesus as king and his kingdom. And we're told that too. One of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, right? Seek first the what? kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's about the coming rule of God and the king. And now is the time for people to get ready for that rule, to get their hearts ready for the rule of Jesus, not their own rule. Now, the third historic action is the descent of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Look back at verse four and five. Gathering them together, doesn't say when this happened. Some think this was at a mealtime because of the way that verb is. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. 
but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Boy, what anticipation. Not many days from now. This is something they talked about three and a half years. Remember John the Baptist that said, I, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is greater than I. I'm not worthy to even untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then we kept talking about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. When's this going to happen? He says, not many days from now. Anticipation is building. Verse 4 indicates that during the 40 days toward the very end, we guess, Jesus gathered them. He gathered them together and he commanded them. Now, you can see what was on his heart and his mind here. He commanded them and it was this. Don't leave Jerusalem. Almost sounds parental, doesn't it? You tell your kids, look, this is what you got to do. I'm going to be gone. I'm going to leave for the night. Don't, whatever it is that you don't want them to do. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait there for the Father's promise. Why Jerusalem? Because the historic gospel was from the Jews. You owe your salvation to the Jews. I owe my salvation to the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. I'm not Jewish, so, you know, not trying to get some cred here. Armenian, Russian, I don't know. I got my mix. I got to get that DNA test. We owe our salvation to the Jews. It is God's chosen nation. Jesus was Jewish. He's the Jewish king. He was crucified where? Jerusalem. He was buried where? Jerusalem. He rose from the dead where? Jerusalem. Jesus chose to fulfill prophecy that he would give his testimony... At Jerusalem. So where was the testimony of the death, burial, resurrection, and appearances of the Jewish Messiah supposed to begin? Answer? Jerusalem. Pretty important city, isn't it? City of David. Goes back to David. Jesus is the son of David. David ruled. He moved his kingdom from Hebron to Jerusalem. And he reigned there. And he brought the ark there. And he said, this is now the city of God. And Jerusalem has been the most precious real estate on the planet for 3,000 years now, since the time of David. The church did not start in some faraway place like Rome. You talk to Roman Catholics, they're like, we're the original church. You know what? No, no, no. You didn't get your history right. The church did not start in Rome. Didn't start in Egypt, Ephesus, Spain started in Jerusalem. In fact, all of the first believers, as far as we know, were 100% Jewish. And that makes it pretty important to stay there. Now, it's also there, he said, he wants them to wait because he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit, baptize them with the Holy Spirit as was already promised to them. I want to say something to you, and this might be shocking. But the Holy Spirit's coming is just as crucial to understand our historic Christian faith as the coming of Jesus to this planet when he was incarnate and came down as a baby. It's just as important that we understand there was a sense two members of the Trinity who came. There was the second person of the Trinity. He came, that's the Lord Jesus, and he took on a human body. 
And we have that down pretty well. I mean, we celebrate that at Christmas. We have that pretty good. We have a lot of songs about that. But this coming of the third member of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit, his coming was equally important to understand this movement we call Christianity. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come into the world? You might answer something like this. To save sinners from hell. I like that. To reveal God to us. To die on a cross for our sins. To seek and to save that which was lost. All of that would be true. When John the Baptist described why Jesus was coming, do you know what he said? I baptize you with water, but he will die on the cross for you. No. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' mission. All of that other work that he did to save sinners was to get ready for this work, to pour out the Holy Spirit so there would be the birth of the church, so the church would go forth in power and witness for that. That also is crucial to understanding Christianity. The descent of the Holy Spirit of God to earth, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is no small event. It's no small doctrine. It is correct to say that Jesus came to earth to launch an entire new age with a new covenant. And all of that was dependent on the coming of the Holy Spirit. So dependent, Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty important. He would immerse his followers in the life of the Holy Spirit, a whole new age of the Spirit for the people of God, an age never seen before in all of human history. That's our age. That's who we are. That's why it's kind of exciting to study the book of Acts. In fact, talk about the Spirit. We're in chapter 1 in Acts, and I know I'm going slowly through that, but in real life it didn't really take that long. And then you get to Acts 2, and only chapter 2, and there's 28 chapters. In chapter 2, the Spirit comes right there like in verse 1 of chapter 2. So we're getting the Spirit in here early for the story of Christianity. So when you go through the rest of 2, 3, 4, all the way to 28, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some people think it's appropriate to call this book not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I'll take it further. Then when you get to the next book of the Bible, which is what? Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all of that's about the work of the Holy Spirit too. Did you notice that? You go to Revelation and it says the Spirit and the bride say, come. It's the message of the Holy Spirit. It's all about the work of the Holy Spirit. This is New Testament time. Jesus punctuated this in that upper room discourse I just mentioned. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John 14. John 16, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He's so important. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of promise. He was promised to us. Jesus, when he got to heaven, he didn't say, ah, forget about those guys on earth. He kept his promise. We're going to talk a lot more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so I'll hold back on all of that. For now, I want you to know this. The baptism with the Holy Spirit was a one-time, unrepeatable event given by God in human history to launch an entirely new age, this age of the church. 
you will be baptized. That was a passive command showing they were not going to baptize themselves. They couldn't do that. We can do that in the water. We could baptize ourselves. We were in uh, Israel and we saw on the Jordan River. And some people kind of take that thing seriously. And they go down to the Jordan River and they were baptizing themselves. Nobody was dunking them. They were just kind of in there. I think that they felt like they need to do it a lot because they were going down and under and back up. And down and under and back up. Down and under and back up. It's like nobody was baptizing. They're baptizing themselves. I guess the more the merrier. Maybe they had a lot of sins. I don't know what it was. But they just kept baptizing themselves. But with the Holy Spirit, we cannot baptize ourselves. Cannot do that. John the Baptist couldn't do it. Jesus could do it. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear, Peter said, accompanying Acts 2 and the coming of the Spirit. It launched a whole new age, a whole new life. Romans 5, 5 says, hope does not disappoint us, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Second Corinthians 3, 6 says that God made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. That's the letter of the law. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Second Corinthians 13, 14. You guys have heard of the fellowship of the ring. We are the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Galatians three fourteen. And I always wanted to go on a great adventure, by the way. You know, you're like, you go, let's go on a great venture. Let's go on a voyage. Let's do something great. But I'm like, we are. This is a voyage. This is something great. We need to support one another in this. Galatians 3.14. We would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you have faith in Christ? If you do, you can have the promise of the Holy Spirit. All good things that occur in the church today are the mark of the Holy Spirit of God. Church history is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit has arrived. We do not need to call the Holy Spirit down from heaven. Put away those songs. 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came down. Why would someone be calling them down now? The Holy Spirit's arrival and work is the only explanation for the church. How could we even be here and work together? How could all those simple believers and slaves overturn the Roman Empire? Has that ever happened in any other movement in all of history? where weak people and uninfluential people without a sword in their hand, as Muhammad had, went out and convinced people by using the, the least educated people to transform the greatest and mightiest empire ever. Only the work of the Holy Spirit could do that. It's a miracle. The church is a miracle. The fact that we're here together and like each other is a miracle. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't think it's you and me. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit. So it'll be our privilege to keep rehearsing these historic truths as we go through Acts. The Christian gospel, the historic resurrection of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit to launch the church. That should be confidence building in us, an undeniable rock-solid foundation for all we preach and do and teach. We are not passing on religious speculation. We are correcting the educational establishments of this world who have the audacity to sweep 
the greatest event in human history under the rug and then call that world history. No, this is world history. I close with Paul's confident words to King Agrippa, who was over the land during many of these historic events. And in his chains, as he stood before this king, he said, For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. It was all out in the open. That's our faith. The historic descent of the Holy Spirit was a major part of Jesus' mission here on earth. You heard in today's message from Pastor Tom about this incredible experience that the disciples had and how this gift gave them courage and boldness that they needed to successfully spread the gospel to the entire known world. You too receive the gift of the Holy Spirit if you've placed your faith in Jesus. Discover Hope is a listener-supported ministry, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to be a part of sharing the gospel message. Would you join us in praying for our listeners? Pray that the love and grace of Jesus will be evident in each new broadcast and that many would come to know the hope of salvation. Thanks for praying. If you feel led to contribute financially to this ministry as well, you can do so by visiting hopebible.org and clicking the giving tab at the top of the page. We appreciate every amount given and use it to continue producing the messages of Pastor Tom Leak that you hear on Discover Hope. Be sure to listen next time to Discover Hope to hear Pastor Tom teach about the futility of the kingdoms of our world today. All of the governments, countries, and kingdoms here on earth will one day cease to exist. The only eternal kingdom is the kingdom of God. This was what Jesus spent much of his time on earth teaching about. You will find out how you can actively participate in this kingdom that will never end, and right now. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.